0: Well, let's turn together once more to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 3. So those of you who are visitors this morning, you are joining us in the beginnings of the story of Nehemiah. We'll be going through it all the way until Thanksgiving. Uh, But it is the story of a man who led the Israelites in rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. And most importantly, if, Uh, The the real construction project that he was consumed with particularly was in rebuilding the city's walls. Because in those days, it really wasn't a city if it didn't have walls. So last week, in chapter 2, Nehemiah, in the quiet of the evening, took a few of his friends... And one uh, animal to ride on, he went out in the darkness telling no one why he had come to Jerusalem from so far away. And he surveys the damage and he finds that the walls are in worse a state than he could have ever imagined. Charred stones, heaps of ash where gates used to be And a people who are just used to it. Who are used to living in a city where they are covered in trouble and shame. But Nehemiah rose up in chapter 2 after surveying the city and he said, I'm putting my foot down and let's put our foot down together and say no more. In verse 17 he says, Then I said to them, You all see the trouble we're in? how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates, burned. Come, let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And verse 18, they said, let us rise up and build. And they strengthened their hands for the good work. Now, if you have arrived in chapter 3 and you have surveyed some of what chapter 3 has to say, I know what... uh, you might be thinking, is Pastor Chad really going to preach on a chapter filled with obscure Hebrew names? Just look at it for a second. This is one of those chapters that you normally skip when you're doing your devotions, right? Raise of hands, be honest, if you would have skipped this chapter. You're not supposed to lie in church. (laughs) All right. Listen to me, this is no lie. My very first week, some of you were here for this, my very first week as pastor at College Street Baptist Church, five years ago, really, to this Sunday, I preached my very first sermon at this church on Matthew chapter 1, and you know what that is? A genealogy. (laughs) A genealogy. And it may have been a terrible sermon. It probably was. But, I was trying to set a tone for how we at College Street Baptist Church were going to understand the Bible. And it's this, from 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, so that the woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. How much Scripture How much scripture? All. Come on. How much scripture? All. Right. Can I get an amen on that? All scripture. Breathed out by God. Including, brothers and sisters this morning, Nehemiah (laughs) chapter 3. So, three things I want us... To remember, and then we're going to read it together. Number one, you don't have to write these down. These are just things to help you feel comfortable as you sit while I read the next 32 verses of obscure Hebrew Names. Number one, remember this. It's not about fitting God into our story. It's about us fitting into God's story. I think many of us come to the Bible, come to church with the attitude that I need to get something out of it. Right, I need to get something out of it, which is okay. But it can create this idea that the Bible only has value in so much as it can fit into my life. In so much as it can provide practical answers for the questions I have in my current circumstances. But the Bible is intentionally seeking to draw us out of our Our narrow-minded, self-centered focus and to draw us into the grand narrative of what God has begun since the beginning of creation and will not finish until the return of Jesus. It draws us out of darkness and into the light of the gospel, which is the real story. So we come to the scriptures seeking to figure out how does my life fit into what God is doing on these pages. Not how do these pages somehow provide some nugget for me to take home and specifically use in my life. Number two, remember not to take yourself so seriously. All right. Reading Nehemiah chapter 3, sitting here for 30 minutes, listening to a sermon on obscure Hebrew names, what a waste of my time. So you're telling me you've never wasted your time on anything of no value this week? (laughs) How much time we've spent watching TV, or on Facebook, or Instagram, or, uh, you know, sitting on a fishing boat, watching the news, reading the box scores from last night. There are many worse things you could spend your time doing other than to listen to me read for two minutes this chapter and then spend the next few minutes explaining it to you. So let's not take ourselves so seriously here. We all know we waste our time. And I can guarantee you this morning, after we get done with this passage, you'll realize this is not a waste of time. And thirdly, let's remember that this is about a relationship. We don't try to get something out of every time we spend with our children or our grandkids or our wife or our friends. That's not what relationship is about, right? Why do we have to get something out of every conversation we have with the Lord? So let's just relish this morning the fact that the Lord of Heaven speaks to us. That He cares about us. That by the blood of Jesus, we have become His people. Amen? And let us simply listen. And who knows, over lunch, you may be able to make fun of how your pastor mispronounced a bunch of names in the public reading of the Scripture. So, if you've turned to Nehemiah chapter 3... Let's listen together to a vision for the rebuilding of the walls of the city. Nehemiah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hasana'ah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulman, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshazabel repaired, and next to them, Zadok, the son of Baana repaired, and next to them, the Tekoaites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve their lord. Joiada, the son of Haseah, and Meshulam, Meshulam, the son of Besodia, repaired the gate of Yashanah. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the the Maranathite, the men of Gibeon, and Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Harhiah, goldsmiths, repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, ruler of the half of the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Herumaph, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabnia, repaired. Malkijah, the son of Harim, and Hashuv, the son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section and the tower of the ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. He and his daughters. Hanum, The inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Malkijah, the son of Rechav, ruler of the district of Beth Hacherim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Hose, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah of the king's garden, as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of half the district of Beth-zur, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired. Rahum, the son of Bani, next to him... Hashabiah, ruler of half the district of Keilah, repaired for his district. And after him, their brothers repaired. Bavai, the son of Hanadad, ruler of half the district of Keilah. Next to him, Ezra, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashiv, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakoz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashiv to the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area repaired. After them, Benjamin and Heshuv repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Maaseiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. After him, Benui, the son of Hanadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. Palal, the son of Uzziah, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. After him, Padiah, the son of Perosh, and the temple servants living in Ophel repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east and the projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. After the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Emmer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the, second, the sixth son of Zaloth, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah repaired opposite his chamber. After him... one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate and to the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. Thus concludes the reading of the word of God. Nehemiah chapter 3 presents us With a compelling vision for rebuilding the walls of the city. And as as I was reading, I think the first thing that ought to have struck each of us is the unity of the people. They are, firstly, with one mind. Did you notice that? Everyone is completely unified from the priests to the princes to the merchants to the servants. They're all united in this sacred effort of building the wall. And they acknowledge that this is not merely the work or the idea of man. They've entered into a holy work that God has invited them into. How do we know that? Look at verse 1. Nehemiah begins the whole description by by starting with one individual who's the very first person that he mentions. The high priest. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. And then it says, they consecrated it and set its doors. Do you guys know what the word consecrate means? It means they made it Holy. They sanctified it. They acknowledged this is the work of God. They declared whatever issues forth in the rest of this chapter to belong to the Lord. You see, the people are with one mind, but it's not, it's not some idea that they've just become very passionate about and they're excited about and they're united in. It's not some project that just seemed good at the time. They are with one mind in a good work that the Lord has given to them to do. In fact, I want to show you something in this chapter. When you come across a part of the Bible where it feels like the Bible's repeating itself over and over and over again, what you're supposed to look for is the outlier. Where is the misfit? Where is the bug in the system? You have this repeated, repeated, repeated chain, and you want to look for where's the break in the chain. Now, I'm really going to show you guys how much of a nerd I am this morning. You guys already think I am. We're going to ratchet that up to 11 here. I knit. Okay? All right. I knit. And the thing is, about knitting, is that essentially you just knit in rows of stitches. That's, that's what it, what's going on. And the point of knitting, uh, whether you're knitting a stocking or a sweater or whatever, is you don't want any individual stitch to stick out. So you follow the pattern and you want all the stitches to look uniform so that when you look at the garment, it looks like one unified garment. But the problem is, and I learned this early on, when you have one stitch wrong, it sticks out like a sore thumb. So it's the same way here in chapter three. It's this knitted, united effort. And so when there is one stitch off, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Everyone's working. Everyone's putting their hands to the work, right? Everyone's repairing. Everyone's with one mind, except look at verse five. We have this, and next to them, and next to them, and next to them, verse 5, and next to them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. So what sticks out in this united effort of God's people? The ones who refused to join the work. What if College Street Baptist Church and its members were so with one mind, were so unified in the good work that the Lord has given us to do, that what stuck out were the people who decided not to join in the good work. What if the members of College Street Baptist Church were so dedicated to being here on Sunday that it seemed strange when they were missing? What if next week every single one of our members showed up to discipleship class at 10 a.m. And that became the habit. So that a member who didn't participate in our discipleship together seemed strange. Out of place. What if every single one of our members was making a concerted effort to participate in our small group's ministry, building relationships with one another? What if all of our members were pouring into our neighborhoods and sharing the gospel, and a member of College Street that didn't know how to share the gospel seemed odd? What if we were all giving sacrificially of our finances? What if College Street Baptist Church had this kind of unity to where you look at it and we look like Nehemiah chapter 3 with one mind? Well, what creates this kind of dedication and unity in a people? Well, it's the conviction that these nobles were unwilling to accept. They were unwilling to stoop to serve their Lord. The very thing that these nobles lacked, which needs to characterize all of our hearts, is a gospel humility. The recognition that God has sent someone seeking the good of His people. Jesus Christ, His Son, to erase all of our trouble and shame and to breathe new life into His people. The humility to acknowledge this isn't my work. I'm simply, I've been invited into the good work that the Lord Jesus is doing in His church. God in His infinite mercy and undeserved grace has given Me the opportunity to join in the building of his new city. That kind of humility changes the people and gives them to be with one mind. But there's something else that sticks out about the unity in this passage, and we've already heard it. There's certain phrases that are repeated over and over again. In verse 3, verse uh, verse 2 and next to him and then the next sentence and next to them verse 4 and next to them and then the next sentence and next to them and next to them and next to them what we see is not only are they with one mind but they are with one mind secondly striving side by side striving side by side i've never laid bricks But I have looked at walls before, so I'm not claiming to be an expert here, but I have seen what a wall looks like. uh, And I know the difference between a column and a wall. I think all of us are pretty well familiar. You all know what a column is? All right, you know what a wall is, right? Well, the only difference between a column and a wall, you can build the same, a column and a wall, out of the same stones. The difference is, a column is when you lay stones one on top of the other, right? But a wall is a bunch of stones laid in an interlocking pattern. So if you think about it, as Nehemiah lays it out and he says, and next to them, and next to them, and next to them, and next to them, the purpose of the wall they're building is to protect the city, right? So how foolish would it be to have these people building different chunks of the wall, but none of them are interconnected? They just build a hundred columns. Would that protect the city? No, they have to be going into the work field day by day, striving side by side, building their sections of the wall into interlocking walls in order to protect against the enemy. So they lay their stones in rows so that their section interlocks with the person next to them and their section interlocks with the person next to them and the section next to them so that the entire wall becomes this united fortress of protection. How often, as the people of God, do we think that we can labor alone? And what we're really doing is just building our little columns in our Christian lives, stacking one stone on top of the other. We think we don't need the church, so we act like free-floating Christians. We don't belong to any certain congregation. Building little columns Some of us are members of a church, but we don't really think we need to build those interlocking, striving, side-by-side relationships with the other people. We'll just build 30 or 40 columns in this church, and we'll be fine. We don't dare share our lives with one another. So why are we surprised when the enemy is able to sneak in and destroy us so easily? Cause you to fall into sin, cause you to fall into discouragement, despair, adultery, walking away from the faith, you name it. We're so surprised that our little columns won't protect us from the enemy. You see, as the people of God, we need to strive side by side. Did you notice as I was reading all the different types of people who were laboring next to one another? High priests, the rest of the priests, temple servants, perfumers, merchants, goldsmiths, governors, chieftains, sons and daughters, nobles and average Joes, all striving side by side, all laying bricks together all equally servants of the living God. Brothers and sisters, we are brothers and sisters. (laughs) We are all equals. There is no hierarchy as we're building these walls. We're striving side by side, entering into this work. I don't care who you are, all under the authority and direction of Jesus Christ. He was not ashamed to come to earth and to labor beside us. In fact, to stoop to the lowest place to labor for us. Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And as brothers and sisters, the Bible tells us he is laying us as living stones, stone upon stone into an interlocking dwelling place for the Lord. This is why week in and week out, you hear some of the members of our church continually inviting you to small groups. It's because we want to know you. We want our lives to interlock with yours, to build relationships with you. This is why I, as your pastor, keep making it so hard on you and encourage older people to hang out with younger people older men and younger men, older women, younger women, adults and children. It's because we are not a wall if we, if we intentionally keep ourselves in our little columns. We want an interlocking wall because there lies the strength. We were meant to build our lives together. So let us get involved Coming to small groups, sharing our marriages, our families, our struggles at work, our difficulties with sin, with our jobs, with whatever. Let the Lord, by His Spirit, build our lives together. Let us strive side by side. But thirdly, this isn't just mere enthusiasm that gets them going. This isn't just excitement about something new that's popped up and everyone just hops on board. It's going, it's tough and it's going to get tougher as the chapters go on. This building effort. Resources are scarce. Enemies are going to intimidate and do whatever they can to destroy the effort that they've entered into. This isn't just a bunch of people excited about the newest thing. They are rebuilding a city that is founded on ancient promises, and that is what motivates them in their holy effort. Number three, they are with one mind, striving side by side, thirdly, for the faith. This is a labor of belief in the promise of God. Let me go back to chapter 1 and read to you what spurred Nehemiah on to take on this effort in the first place. The promise of God. This promise. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven... From there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. That shapes everything that we see in chapter 3. The people are laboring for the faith. This isn't just some city they're building. This is the city of Jerusalem. The city that bears His name. The city of David. The city of their father's tombs. That's what puts stone upon stone. That's what puts hands to work. That's what builds these walls day in and day out. Faith in the promises of God. As we sang earlier today, how firm a foundation the saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word. For the faith. Back in chapter 2 verse 18 when Nehemiah is telling the people all about the work, this is what he says to them. I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Brothers and sisters, let us consider if your desire has waned to enter into this good work, could it be because you're losing grip on your faith? Are you, day by day, filling your heart, cramming it full with the promises of God from His Word and acting on them as though they might actually come to pass in your life? Are you meditating on His Word, confessing your sins, repenting daily, trusting in the forgiveness He promises us at the cross? We see in chapter 3, A people who aren't drawn together because they all have the same occupation or they all have the same social status or they all have the same gender. What draws us together as a church is not that we're all the same color or all have the same job or all have the same age or all have the same music taste. What draws us together is the only thing that can hold us together which is our common faith in the one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. all of our trust in the son of God sent from heaven to die for sinners we have believed that he is raised from the dead and that he marches forth into victory we have faith and hope that one day he will come back to live with us forever it is our faith And the promises fulfilled 100% in Jesus Christ that draws us together in this work. Number three, four, the faith. And I hope that most of you know where I'm going with this last point. If you're a member here, then shame on you if you don't know what it's going to be. (laughs) As we look at the vision, the compelling vision for rebuilding the walls of the city, we see a people, firstly, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith, lastly, of the gospel. Sure, Nehemiah is certainly a book about the rebuilding of the walls of the city of Jerusalem, but really, it's a book about the rebuilding. Of the people of God. What are the people doing in chapter 3? What is the labor they're doing next to one another, side by side? What is the labor that they're united in? Laying bricks. All of them priests, goldsmiths, merchants, perfumers. The chieftains, the governors, the sons, the daughters, they're all laying bricks. When God first found the people of Israel in the land of Egypt, guess what they were doing? Playing bricks. Exodus chapter 1, laying bricks. As the people work, God takes them all the way back to the very beginning of Back to when they were a slave people, laying bricks, building the empire of Pharaoh. God brings them back to the basics to remind them that he is a redeeming God. Who saves his people out of slavery so that they can become servants of the living God. What's the point of a chapter filled with the names of obscure people we've never heard of? I mean, wouldn't it have been easier for Nehemiah to just say, and they built the walls? On to chapter (laughs) 4. Well, let me show you something. The wall of Jerusalem is a circle, right? Its objective is to keep the enemies out. So you've got to build it in a circle. Look at verse 1. Where does the wall begin? Then Eliashiv, the high priest, rose up with his brothers the priests, and they built the Sheep Gate. Turn to the end of the chapter. Verse 32. Where does the wall finish? Same place it started. At the Sheep Gate. You know what? I bet I can think of at least 43 people who consider this to be one of their favorite chapters in the Bible. The 43 names that are mentioned in this chapter. The 43 obscure, know nothing about them people who appear on this list. Why? Because when they read this, they see how they, as the sheep of God, fit into the grand narrative of what God is doing in and through and for his people. This is the good news of the gospel that we all like sheep have gone astray and each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The 43 sheep who are named here, who are building the walls of Jerusalem, had faith that one day the shepherd was going to come walking through that sheep faith. They believed and knew after reading this chapter that their life had a purpose. Do you? Do you know that the story of your life has a purpose? Or do you feel like some obscure no name who is doomed to live, to die, and to be forgotten? Let me tell you something. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 139 that somewhere in heaven there is a book, and as sure as the names appear on the pages of this Bible, your name is written there, and every single day of your life is written into the grand story of what God is doing for the world through Jesus Christ. What these Israelites realized in Nehemiah chapter 3 is what we need to realize is that somehow God has a purpose for us and our life does fit into the story that God is writing that arches from Alpha to Omega, from in the beginning to the recreation. A narrative that centers on Jesus Christ. Let me read to you what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door or climbs in by another way, that man, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the sheep gate is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And then Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I want you to leave this morning knowing this truth you have a purpose. But you will not understand that purpose until you come to the shepherd. The sheep gate was so named because it was closest to the temple, and that's where the sacrifices would be led into the city of Jerusalem to be offered. The good shepherd enters by the gate to lay down his life for the sheep. See, Jesus died on the cross in the city, outside the city of Jerusalem, laid down his life so that you and I could discover the purpose that he has for us. In the gospel. Serving the living God. In a grand narrative. Nehemiah chapter 3 is important. Because it's another chapter. In the story of what God is doing. Through Jesus Christ. Your life is one of those chapters as well. Repent. And believe the gospel. Return. O sheep, to the shepherd. Brothers and sisters, let us not despise the chapters of our lives that read very much like Nehemiah chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, let us be a people with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your promise that you are orchestrating our lives, that we have been made new creations to walk in the good works which you have prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That every day of our life you have already storyboarded out. Lord Jesus, our shepherd, come and find us, gather us into your fold so that we may begin the work of rebuilding your walls as we realize that you're really rebuilding us as your people. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.